Good morning, everyone. Well, if you haven't been with us before um, and you are in the church, uh, we do have two little stations back there. Steve wouldn't mind moving that little hand cleanser up there. We do have hand cleansers. That thing should be on. It's automatic. You don't have to touch it. Our bathrooms are downstairs. Um, if you would like to use those, we do have bathrooms. Uh, the daycare next door allows us to use their bathrooms. We have a key, and you can go out there only if you can't make it down the stairs. Um, we do have two services. So both services will be filmed today. We're going to start filming the second service as well. If you can't get up at the crack of 9, you can get up at the crack of 11.15. That service, of course, is morning prayer. The difference is we don't robe up for that service. A little bit longer in worship, a little bit different prayer style. So it's a little bit, it's not contemporary. Well, I don't know. I don't know how you would describe it. It's just a little bit different. So just try that service. uh, Try this service. This service is going to be more classic. Uh, Eucharistic Anglican, I won't say classic because morning prayer is a different style of service and it's always been an Anglican service. They're just two different forms of Anglican services, so I encourage everyone to try both styles of service. Um, But always, if you miss one, you can hit the other. If you've got to get out of town early, you can hit this one. So however it goes, I mean, that's just classically what we're going to be doing. So hopefully you can hit that. Um, We are doing two services, like Chris said, just so everybody can spread out. Uh, during the COVID season. Hopefully, we want to continue anyway because that second service is the service we're going to be planting with. It's not as clergy dependent. So we'll be, tra- we'll be training a lot of lay folks, you folks, hopefully, to be doing stuff there so that when we plant uh, churches elsewhere, and we're getting a big storm, so hopefully that's going to be okay. Um, when we plant, that's the, chur- that's the service that we'll be planting with because that's a little bit easier to plant with. Also, uh, we don't have our camera folks here today, so everybody at home, sorry, we can't zoom in and out like we usually do, so hopefully, you're not going to see my beautiful face. It is beautiful, right, everybody? It is beautiful, just trust us, um, but they zoomed out because I think Chris was preaching a couple weeks, and a lot of you just said, please zoom out, and so that's what happened. I, I don't know why, uh, you know, take that up with him. Okay. All right, so let's start with a little word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much, uh, Lord, for this time together. Lord, as we continue our series on Samuel, and we're hitting some pretty cool passages, Lord, I pray that you would really help us to get excited about this book, that you would show us why this book's in Scripture. It's a book that a lot of us don't read. It's a book that a lot of us really need to read. It's a really exciting book. Father, as we get to dig into some of these passages that we don't study in Sunday school, Lord, I ask that you would help show us what they mean for us. I know we're, we're flying through this series, and it's really hard to hit everything. Lord, please excite everyone out there, um, Lord, about this book. David is such an awesome person. Uh, he's, he's a man I really admire. Um, I know we, we think about all of his flaws, but there's just so many good things. Uh, we live in a society that loves to pick on the flaws of things. We, we love to think everyone else is flawed, and we are so perfect, but... Um, it turns out that we're pretty flawed as well, and, and David just shows that in, in real detail. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to become people after David's own heart, um, like David was after your own heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is an exciting chapter for me. Uh, all of these, really, Samuel is just an exciting book for me. And this passage is an exciting one. If you've, ever re- if you've never read First or Second Samuel all the way through, I really encourage you to do it. There's a couple ways to read scripture, 
Um, and so I may be popping a pill, by the way. I'm a migrainer, and there's a big, huge storm coming through, so we're going to hope I, I make it all the way through this. Um, anyway, uh, there's, there's really a lot of neat, neat stories in Samuel. We've all heard of some of them. Right? You've all heard, if you've, been in, um, if you've been in Sunday school at all, everybody's heard of David and Goliath. Everybody's heard of... Um, Everybody's heard of the Bathsheba story, right? If you've been in adult Sunday school, and if you've watched movies, you've kind of heard of Bathsheba, the David and Bathsheba story. You've probably heard, if you've been in Sunday school any length of time, you've heard about Hannah. You've heard about Hannah praying to the Lord and wanting a son. But it's not until you really dig in and you really read that you hear about Abner and Joab, which was a story that uh, Father Scott preached on, or Pastor Scott, whichever you want to call us, um, preached on a couple weeks ago. And unfortunately, the cameras didn't get that. But that's a really neat story. And if you are a man who really likes action or a woman who really likes action stories, Samuel really gives you that. That passage was full of intrigue. And that's a really fascinating story, a really kind of neat story. But it's also a bloody story. And and oftentimes, in our day and age, we try to think, well, the Bible, it should be just all like flowers and unicorns, right? And candy corn. And that's really what we think. Uh, I used to be in the Episcopal Church before we joined the Anglican Church, and the Episcopal Church lost its way, as so many denominational churches have these days, non-denoms too, but really denominational churches. And I went to this youth conference they used to call Happening. It was kind of like Curcio or... Um, I forget what other churches call it. Anyway, Emmaus, walk to Emmaus. And when you were on the kind of the liberal side, or the I'm not saying politically liberal, but the other liberal side, they would talk about God, and they would hand out these warm fuzzies, and they would present God as a warm, fuzzy, gooey God who like kind of handed out chocolate brownies, and he was this big Santa Claus in the sky. But here's the thing. When you read the Old Testament, God doesn't look like this warm, gooey brownie who hands out flowers and unicorns and candy corn, there's some really kind of uh, weird stuff that happens, some dark stuff that happens. And in this chapter, we come into some dark stuff. How in the world does a man like Uzzah, who seems to be a faithful man, who's simply celebrating a victory of the Lord, walk down behind a cart, and the cart stumbles, the oxen stumbles, and the cart goes bloop, 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 and the ark falls off. And so he simply reaches out to stop the ark from falling off, and pow! God kills him. God kills him. And we're all looking at this like, what the heck? Right? Now, David was a man of war. I guarantee you David didn't say, what the heck? He said the Hebrew word for not the heck, okay? He was a man of war. He didn't say golly. (laughs) And that's what Christians and Jews throughout the millennia have asked. How in the world could this happen? Have you ever been angry at God? Have you ever shaken your fist at the sky? Be honest. And so we ask, how could a good and a holy God do this? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at how a good and a holy God could do this. 
Well, the incident takes place after a major victory by a newly minted king. 2 Samuel 5, 17 to 19. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king, we read, over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. Now David inquires of the Lord. And we, we began to ask, well, how does David inquire of the Lord? Does the Lord speak to him like a prophet? Well, probably not here. There are times that the, David, that the Lord speaks to David in prophecy, and there's times that David speaks to the Lord through prophets, right? Like Nathan. Nathan is the primary prophet who speaks to David. Now, early on, the prophet Samuel speaks to David. Later on, the prophet Nathan will speak to David. But here, it's not the prophet David. Here, it's the Urim and the Thummim. Has anybody heard of the Urim and the Thummim? Raise your hands, right? Now, if Brenda was here, she could tell me at home, all the kids, have you ever heard of the Urim and the Thummim? The Urim and the Thummim. Well, let's look at what the Urim and the Thummim were. Exodus 28:30. And in the breastpiece of judgment, this is what the Lord says, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. So this was a breastplate that the Lord had. Uh, my wife was at this function one time in, uh, in East Texas. East Texans really kind of love this stuff. I don't know why. But this uh, lady came out, and she was really excited, and she had built this breastplate that looked like the breastplate of Aaron. I don't know if she bought it online. Well, they didn't have online then, but she made this whole thing. She had these 12 stones and all the stuff, and she made this whole breastplate, and she put this Urim and the Thummim. Well, here's the thing. We don't actually know what the Urim and the Thummim looked like. We just know that there was a Urim and a Thummim. And the Urim and the Thummim, and we continue to read, they would go in this breastplate, all right? And they shall be on Aaron's heart. So they were up here, hearts on the left side, uh, when he goes before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now what were the Urim and the Thummim like? Well, we read in 1 Samuel 28, 6, previously, and when Saul inquired, the wicked king, when Saul inquired of the Lord, and remember, Lord in all caps means what? Scream it. Yahweh. From home, scream it. I can hear you. Yahweh, that's right. Or in Old English, Jehovah, right? Jehovah, Yahweh. It's just a difference in pronunciation on how you pronounce it. Um, but Yahweh is probably the most likely pronunciation. Uh, you can debate that. Uh, there's scholars who debate that, whatever. My way's correct. No. Uh, the Lord, when you see all caps, is Yahweh. When you see capital, uh, other way, it's Adonai, or Adonai, right? It's just Hebrew transliteration, Adonai. Um, you can use Adonai to describe Lord. You can also use Adonai to describe a person addresses as Lord. So Sarah addresses her husband as Adonai, Lord. I've tried to get my wife Kelly to address me. She's Irish. She's stubborn. I don't know why. She'll be at the next service. Don't tell her. She's not watching this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm so um, so when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So somehow, these lots, uh, they would cast them and when they would pray, and they would show yes or no. But I'd say yes or no, but they seem to show specific answers, and they also can show no, or he doesn't even answer. So we're not sure how they worked, but the priests, the priest, the high priest, 
would do this. So it was a way that the high priest could do it when there was no prophet. So the Lord instructs David to fight, and when he does, uh, and he does. But here's the thing, and here's why they're celebrating so much. This wasn't just an ordinary victory. No, 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 no. This was a special victory. This was a very unique victory, right? This was like an amazing victory. 2 Samuel 5, 22 to 25, we read this. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of Yahweh, or the Lord, he said, you shall not go up. You shall go around their rear and come up against them opposite the balsam trees. Again, Urim and Thummim, they're kind of interesting. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you and strike down the army of the Philistines. So now maybe you've got a prophet speaking to him, unsure. But notice this. When the Lord has gone out before you, you shall hear the sound of marching in the trees. Something else is happening here. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So this is some sort of angelic or spiritual force. You're going to see this again with Elijah, right? It's going to happen again. Uh, There's going to be times that David's going to see another angel on the threshing floor. There's going to be times when angels of the Lord do some miraculous things. Moses saw this, right? The angel of death. And so there are certain things and there are certain times when the Lord intervenes. And so why the people are celebrating is they have seen the Lord intervene in a miraculous fashion. They are ecstatic. God has come down and intervened on their behalf. They want a great victory, but they know that the Lord quite clearly has gone before them in a powerful way. And they are in awe. Could you imagine if you were in a prayer life and you prayed on a specific thing, can you imagine if God did an amazing thing? How many of you have prayed and you know for certain that God has done an amazing thing? Has anyone prayed and had God do an amazing thing? Anyone? Anyone? Have you all ever? God done an amazing thing? Right. So several hands went up. When he does and you come after that, Right? There's like this sense of awe. Now, if you've ever gone a little bit longer, like a year later, it's easy to forget. Oh, right? Did God really do that? Right? We have this kind of wonderful capacity to forget. And that's why the Hebrews, just three weeks later, are already complaining, Oh, I want to go back to Egypt. God just parted the Red Sea. The people who parted... Now, don't get me on that. Parted the Red Sea, walked through it, wiped out the Egyptian army. right? Biggest whiners, history of the world, okay? Whatever. I just don't understand it. But they, David's army, are not whiners. These guys are tough. They are tough. There's absolute jubilation. They're excited. They're partying. They're dancing. They're going all around. Woohoo! Yeah! And on the way there, the ark teeters, totters, and Uzzah reaches out to stop it. Bam! He's dead. Anyone see Raiders of the Lost Ark? I don't know if his face melted. I don't know how that happened. But he's dead. Right? And it's bad. Now, you can imagine everybody stops. 
That's a party killer. David is angry. How in the world could the Lord do this after that? We were dancing and we were celebrating for you, God, and you killed my friend. You killed my man. How in the world could you do this, Lord? And he shakes his fist and he's angry. How many of you have ever been angry at God? You may have come after the death of a loved one, lost job. Something terrible happened to you. Yes. Perfect time for thunder. Something horrible happened to you. And you wonder, where was God? I was once talking to a, a younger guy who had escaped from Vietnam. And he grew up during the uh, during time under the communism. And he had to feed himself by stealing because his parents died. And he shook his fist at the sky. And where was God during that time? Why did I have to feed myself by stealing? Why was I starving to death? He got out, but he still carried that anger deep within. Sometimes things are difficult. Life can get hard. So why did he die? Now, notice that while David is angry and fearful, he says, oh, forget this. I'm just going to leave the ark here with Obed, right? Obed-Edom. We read this in 2 Samuel 6, 10 through 11. And the reaction of God is very different. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Wait a minute. He kills Uzzah and he blesses Obed-Edom. This is a shocking thing. What in the world's going on? Now the writers of Samuel don't help us out very much as to why this is. But all we read in our passage is this, 2 Samuel 6, 12. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought, all, uh, brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So we're like, what in the world? What happened that changed David's heart? Why in the world does he pick it up? Why does he go back and pick up the ark? So something happens. Something Obed-Edom is doing is different from the way that David and his men were treating the ark. The Lord blesses Obed-Edom. He didn't. Maybe he fought. Maybe he was a warrior. But he is doing something different with the ark than David and his men did, and the Lord blesses him and blesses his family. And David hears that and understands, wow, maybe the Lord isn't such a bad guy after all, or maybe he's not so angry, and David calms down and he wants to go pick him up. And so here's where we have to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. If you've never read 1 Chronicles, it's a very interesting book. 1 Chronicles retells Samuel... First and Second Chronicles retells Samuel and First and Second Kings, but it tells it from a priestly perspective. The other ones tell it from a historical perspective. It does interpret and it does tell us about God, but Chronicles is uniquely from a priestly perspective, and so it really kind of goes into detail about some other things. And when we read First Chronicles, we get something very differently. When David returns to pick up the ark, 
he carefully prepares a place for it, and he assembles a massive group of priests and Levites to go down and retrieve it. And we read this, 1 Chronicles 15, 12-15. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it, because you did not carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke out against it, because we did not seek him according to the rule. Ah, now we're finding out what happened. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of their God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. The command to which he was referring was from Numbers 4.15. And the sons of Kohath shall come and carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So why did Uzzah die? Pure and simple. David and his men got carried away. In their celebration, they, like all of us, forgot that they are serving a holy God. They thought that they were serving their best buddy. God had become to them like Tom, Larry, Moe, or if you're a woman, Susie, Janet. Just one of the grew. What's up, man? And they treated God like one of the crew. Maybe, maybe they had some respect, like he was, a, he was their pet tiger who sometimes got out of control. But in that, they stopped worshiping him as they were instructed. The Lord had told him, carry these on a pole. One person stumbles with a pole, the ark doesn't fall. The ark is the representation of God. He had warned them, if you touch these things, you die. In fact, so holy was the Ark of the Covenant, they put it in a place in the temple that was called the Holy of Holies, and once a year, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he would perform a certain sacrifice, and they tied a rope around him with a bell so that they knew the priest was moving, and if anything he did improper, he could die, and they would pull him on out. These guys forgot that. Uzzah forgets that. He thinks, I'm holy enough to do this. He touches it. And he dies. God isn't your tame tiger. He isn't Tom, Larry, Moe, or Susie. God created this solar system. He created this galaxy. He didn't just create this galaxy. He created the galaxy that contains this galaxy. Every galaxy that exists. Uzzah and everyone around him forgot who God was, just like we often do. How many times have you forgotten who God is? We do it all the time. When was the last time you remembered the power of God? When was the last time you took him for granted? When David returns, he shows proper respect. He remembers who, Dave, who, who God is. He dances mightily before the, ro- the Lord. He, he takes off his kingly robes, and he puts on priestly robes. And his wife, Michael, looks out. Michael is the daughter of King Saul. King Saul was a wicked king. But Michael, the daughter of a king, had grown up in royalty and luxury, and she saw herself as that. 
She was special. When Michael went to worship the Lord, she did it in splendor and glory. And she was a traditionalist. She wanted a particular service, probably done in King James English. She wanted it done a certain way, in a certain proper tone. And the priests had to hold their hands in certain ways because the Lord blesses the Eucharist if it's done in this way, but not if it's done in that way. If it's done with these hands, and not if it's done with those hands. Because Jesus only comes this way, but not that way. If I hold the cup that way, but four inches to the left, Jesus won't fall, right? If I'm at this angle, Jesus blesses it, but not that angle, or whatever, right? If I have this kind of service, but not that kind of service, that's who Michael was. So she looks out, and she sees the king dancing mightily before the Lord, making a fool of himself, and she says, what the heck? That's not the guy I want to be with. He is making a fool of himself before the Lord. And David says, Michael, You've forgotten yourself. I'm before the God of the universe. I'm a peon. I worship and serve him. And David puts her in her place. And not only does David put her in her place, the Lord says, so bad are you, Michael? I don't even want children coming from you. You're done. Don't mess. Don't mess with them. David is a man after God's own heart. He learns from his mistakes. He is no fool. He's a fool for God. Who are you a fool for? You a fool for this world? Or are you a fool for God? Do you rejoice in the things of this earth? Or do you rejoice in the king of the universe? Folks, take delight in worshiping the Lord. It's a privilege. It's not a chore. Amen.